Joshua chapter 8, we talked last week, um, looking at chapter 7, um, Israel, they had they crossed over into, uh, they crossed over the Jordan, they went and they took Jericho just by screaming at it, and um, then they got a little bit confident and always sent a few guys into a city called Ai, and um, they, uh, they, got, they were defeated, and um, it was because God said um, when they took Jericho not to take anything for yourselves, that everything was um, devoted, and uh, they had one guy that took some stuff and hid it, and so we talked last week about how there's sin in the camp, and uh, what happens when that's the case, and so they... Uh, they took that dude and they killed him, uh, and they killed his wife, and they killed his kids, and they killed um, all the animals that belonged to him, and they uh, erased his uh, memory from uh, the nation. And then in chapter 8, they go back and they go back to that city again, and uh, you, should, you should read it sometime because it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the first 29 verses, we're not going to read them all tonight for the sake of time, but... Uh, they basically, it's kind of Braveheart-esque. They send um, all the rest of the people to go hide around the city. Then they send that same little group that went, they got defeated the first time. And so they, they go and they attack the city and their goal is to draw them out. And so they, they go to go attack the city and they turn and run just like they did the time before. And all their warriors left the city and were chasing after them. And then once they left the city, everybody comes out of hiding and they... Um, take the city over with, and the guys look back, and they're like, our city's on fire, what's going on? They're surrounded, and uh, they all die. And um, they impale the king. I mean, it's, it's pretty gruesome if you uh, are into such things. Um, and so that's the first 29 verses. And uh, so basically, they, they have taken Jericho, they have taken I, and what this is doing is this is giving them uh, an established uh, presence in the promised land. Now, they're not done there are still uh, plenty of, of things that are going to happen, but this um, this basically is like the first big like okay, uh, we're here and um, we are forced to be reckoned with, and like we're here. And after years of growing up walking around the desert and all this kind of stuff, they finally have gotten to this point, and um, by taking these two cities, they have established themselves a little bit, and. Um, this is a big moment for this nation. And so what happens here is there's a renewal of the covenant uh, that happens at the end of this chapter. And so let's pick up in verse 30. This was after the battle. It says, At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. 
and all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is a great, it's a great moment, you know. The ark is there. The people are surrounding them. Um, just just a, a big, a really big deal. And Joshua gets up and, and he reads, he reads all this, everything that Moses had told them, and they etched it into these stones, just like he said. And this, this is, is a, a giant moment because um, this is kind of the, the culmination of, of all these things about their identity that's, that's come together. Um, you know, they, they crossed over and they set up the stones, one for each tribe, you know, and that was, that was really important. And um, they, uh, they circumcised everybody, and so that was, that was a big deal because that was a big part of, of being Hebrew. And they, they took Passover together with the, um, all the, the stuff coming from the new land, and that was a really big deal. And here they are, they come together and they read the covenant and they etch it into the stones, and it's just this incredible moment. And it's, it's really almost as if God is saying, now the new, the new chapter in the history of Israel is beginning. And, I, and I, I was reading that, and I was like, wow, it's just like, you just think about all that's going on. And, and they keep talking about how Moses had instructed them to do this and stuff. And so um, keep your finger there, but flip back. Actually, you don't have to keep your finger there. Go back to Deuteronomy 27. Just back a few pages. And I was intrigued. I was like, you know, I wonder what Moses, you know, it says Moses kept instructing them to do this stuff. And Moses was their leader before, and Joshua was their leader now. And so... I, uh, you know, use the little print at the bottom of the Bible that kind of tells you where other stuff is, you know. Um, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy 27. See if any of this sounds familiar. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you've crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Okay, that's based verbatim exactly what they did. Um, there was not a detail that was left out. Um, and I was really intrigued by the parallels there. I mean, like the same like verbiage and everything. It was, I was just like, man, they were, like Joshua was hardcore about like, this is what Moses said. We're going to do exactly what Moses said and nothing any, any different at all. And so um, 
chapter 8 plays out basically from instructions that were given by Moses in 27, saying all this stuff's going to happen. Now think just for a second what it was like probably to have Moses stand up and to say all this stuff. And probably you're thinking like, there ain't no way we're ever going to be between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Like we know who lives over there. We know what all that's about, you know, whatever. Um, But Moses is saying we're going to be standing there one day and then we're going to build this altar and we're going to do all this stuff. So, you know, whatever. Imagine to have been there and, and heard Moses say all that stuff. And then after this battle at Ai, you're like, wait a minute, what mountain is that? What mountain is that? And everybody's coming around and you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? What's going on? Then the, like, the priests are there and the ark's there and everybody's getting around them. You're like, oh wait, this sounds really familiar. And then like, there's an altar and then there's offerings going up. And then like Joshua gets up and he starts reading all this stuff. And, and to have everything just like all, one of those moments where everything just kind of comes together, you know, like the usual suspects at the end where like everything starts like piecing together and you're like, ah, it was him the whole time. Um, it just had to be one of those times where you're just like, wow, you know, like, like that just happened, you know. We just made it through all that stuff. And if, if you look at the next two verses, it's kind of where I want to hang out tonight. Verse 9 in chapter 27. If, if you keep reading, you see all the stuff that he described, the blessing and the curse, and you see what all that stuff's about here in Deuteronomy. Look at 9 and 10. It says, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Huge. Huge moment. Saying when they're standing there and they're in this, this valley and they've, they've gotten to this point and, and Joshua gets up and does all this stuff, today you have become the people of God. That adds a whole new level of um, awesomeness to the moment that we see in Joshua chapter 8. And what's, what's cool is you look at verse 9. Today you have become the people of the Lord your God. Verse 10, you shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God. There's this connection between being the people of God and being obedient to the voice of the Lord. They go together. It says, you are now the people of God, therefore obey. Because of who you are, you obey. And so we're going to talk for just a few minutes about obedience. And I was, was thinking about it. And, you know, in, in one sense, I was like, well, I was like, I think we probably all have, like, different, like, ideas when, like, obedience is thrown out as the sermon topic or the community group topic. You know, we're talking about obedience. Everybody probably has different things that they think about. Um, but one thing I was, I was kind of like, you know, for some reason, and, like, this is true for me, and I kind of get this sense that obedience kind of has, like, a negative connotation to it, you know? And when you talk about obedience, like, it's a little bit, like, burdensome, you know? There's a little bit of that, like, conviction and that, like, guilt and all that kind of stuff that comes with it. And it's kind of, at times, I think, can be something in the, in the church world that's like, uh, I don't know, like, you're kind of just getting beat over the head with it, you know? And I was like, Man, that's, I mean, it shouldn't be that way, you know? I mean, it's like when we talk about, uh, I don't know, holiness, like, holiness should be we should love to talk about holiness, but for some reason, like, anytime we talk about it, it's like, I know, I know, I'm no good at 
being Jesus-like, you know, we kind of get this, you know, whatever. And I kind of think obedience is that same way. And um, so I, so I kind of started exploring just, just as I was kind of, the way I do sermon prep is kind of weird because I just, uh, a lot of times it's when I'm cutting the grass. It's kind of weird. Um, and I, I more like just like chase rabbits and think, you know, and I'll chase all these rabbits and then I'll be like, all right, God, you got to narrow it down because there's like 19 rabbits and uh, we don't have that much time. I need you to give me like one rabbit that's really slow and that's the one we're going to chase. And so uh, it kind of like came down and I started thinking about like what, what obedience like looks like and in, in, in different aspects of like following Christ. Um, and so like in, in one sense, I, I think obedience kind of falls into the realm of like what it means to be a part of, of the church, you know, the capital C church, universal deal. Um, or you can think of it whichever way you really click with the best, you know, uh, about being a, a sheep in his flock fold or however, whatever the term is, um, or maybe, maybe you like to think of being a, a part of the body of, of Christ, you know, or um, maybe you like to, you, like, you really like the, the bride of Christ, you know, and that, that we are his beloved, you know, kind of stuff. Maybe you like, you know, being, uh, uh, I don't know, armored Christian soldiers in the Lord's army kind of thing. Uh, maybe that's more where, where you connect to, um, whatever it is, basically all those things are meaning that, that we are his, I think sometimes we, we really wrestle with obedience as far as like what, what it means to be the church, to be his, to be, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and that can be a number of different things. Maybe our, maybe our struggle with obedience in that is just, just the, the calling that is on us. You know, maybe the Great Commission is something that really like you hate hearing about it because you feel bad because you don't share your faith enough, you know. So you struggle with obedience in like the carrying out of some of the things that God has called the church to. Um, maybe, um, maybe just the, the idea that God has taken his, his reputation and like placed it on us and has sent us out into the world to represent him. You know, maybe you're like, I am the worst representative of Jesus you have ever seen. I'm, he does not need to put his reputation on me. He needs to put it on, you know, so-and-so. I, won't, I was going to throw somebody's name out there and embarrass you, but I won't. Um, uh, he's put on Brad Bowling. I'll do that for all y'all. Um, a little shout out for Brad. Um, you know, and so, so maybe that, that's part of what it is. Maybe there's things that are connected to the church. And, and I, I think also one thing that, that is, has been common for several years among like emerging generations is this, is obedience when it comes to loving the church. We might not think of that as being an, an obedience issue, but it totally is. Um, emerging generations are extremely critical of the, the church, and uh, especially the church in America. And um, there's, a, there's a big difference between like, like looking at the church around the world and the church in America and the, and the church in you know, getting closer down to our church. There's a difference between looking at that and just really like being broken that that she does not really live the way that the bride of Christ should live, you know, and just being, just really just having this longing for the church to really be the church, you know, and not this machine, this political deal or whatever. Um, the difference between looking at that and, and just being like, I pray and I long for that to be, not be the case. There between that and then being like, I hate the church. Church is stupid, you know. I'm just, all I need is Jesus. I don't need the church. Um, pretty big difference between that. Because 
Scripture says that Jesus loves the church, and so uh, who are we to talk bad about his lady? Um, I mean, seriously, like, he died for uh, her, and she may be, like, messed up, and she might not always, like, carry out the way that, that the bride of Christ should act, but he is washing her, and he is cleansing her with the word, and he died to present her to himself spotless and without wrinkle, and it's going to happen. And who are we to ever criticize the church? And, and when, when, you, when we start reading things that are anti the church, when we start hearing conversations from people who are like, yeah, nobody really gets it. I mean, I really get it. I can't wait for you know, the church to wake up. And you start hearing all that kind of stuff, there should be red flags going off. And sometimes we need to put books down and go to another blog and end conversations that people are having when they start catching those attitudes like that because that basically is screaming disobedience when that happens. And so obedience can look a whole number of different ways when we're connected to the big, to the big church. Um, obedience can also look um, different ways about like our church in particular. We do a, a membership process that involves a class, and then you, you pray, and you do this devotional book, which we have some at the table, by the way, if you guys are you went to the membership class, and then you, uh, you pray some more, and you meet with an elder, and there's like this, this process that we go through, and there's this covenant that we are all like a part of, and it has these, it basically puts into this big like declaration all our commitments to the Lord, and our commitments to each other, and our commitments to the church, and so maybe like obedience when it comes to this church in particular can, can best like spring out of maybe that, that covenant, you know, that agreement that we're making, that this is how we're going to live together, you know. And so maybe obedience, maybe that's where some of our, our issues are, you know, when we struggle with it there, you know. Um, maybe obedience uh, comes down to, uh, to Scripture, you know. Maybe for you, you look at God's Word when it says, like, um, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. You're like, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, maybe, um, maybe when, the, when Scripture says, be holy because I am holy, you know, maybe that's an area of obedience where you're like, yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe some of the, the jokes that we make or the things we laugh at, things we watch, you know, you chase, chase all that stuff. But maybe some of the stuff in Scripture um, is really a struggle for you um, to really be obedient and to bring yourself to submission to those things. Maybe obedience, uh, when it talks about handling conflict, you know, and we go to each other and we involve Christ and all that stuff, um, maybe that's some of it for you. Um, all those things... Maybe that's an area for obedience for you where you're like, I don't have issues with the church. I don't have issues with our church. But, man, sometimes I read that New Testament, and I'm like, there's no way my life is ever going to look like that. But I know it's supposed to, and I want to submit to God's will and what he wants, but that's a struggle in obedience for, for me. Or maybe, maybe obedience for you, it, it comes down to, like, the super personal stuff, you know, um, the things that you really sense that God is, is asking you to do, telling you to do, leading you to do, whatever. Um, the, the, the times where there's, there's great conviction over sin, times where there is direction giving with your career or your family or like big picture stuff or money or whatever. Um, maybe like your biggest struggle with obedience are the things that you know are, are for you and your personal relationship with God. Um, so, I mean, I mean, obedience covers a whole spectrum of things. Big universal church, our church, 
Scripture, our individual lives. We could just make lists forever. And so when we talk about obedience, it's going to connect with different people different ways, especially in a room like this. And so um, what we need to do is we need to, like as we continue on, basically just open ourselves up to the Lord and just say, all right, we're talking about obedience tonight. Um, what's, what's for me? And so as we go on, you, you apply things to your life in the way that you know, because you know the areas where obedience is an issue. I know the areas where it is for me. And so I can either run from it while we're sitting here talking about it and while I've been pre- prepping for this, or I can basically lay this in front of me and say everything applies to these things, you know. So um, I'm just going to ask ahead of time that Jesus would do that. So we don't have to even pray for it. He's already doing it. I can tell. Okay. Um, here's, here's the thing. Um, we look at Joshua chapter 8. Here they are. They're at this arrival point. They have this great history ahead of them, lots of challenges, lots of stuff. This amazing history behind them, lots of ups and downs. Um, the song we sang that you never let go, that's completely true about Israel. The whole time that they were super obedient or completely rebellious, they were his every single moment. Every single moment they were his. And so when we look at chapter 8, we look at Deuteronomy 27, we look at what, Israel, what um, Moses says Today you've become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord. We see that connection. The thing is, they have every reason to be obedient. There's no reason that obedience should have a negative, like weighty, heavy, burdensome connotation to it. As they are there in that valley, they have every reason to be obedient. We are sitting here in this room tonight. There's not a single reason that we have um, to run from the Lord, to be disobedient, to shy away, to be afraid, whatever. We have every reason. And so um, I was just, just praying, asking God to show me some, some specific things. Let me give you three. Um, three, basically, if you want to have reasons, reasons we have to be obedient that we take from their example. Um, the first one is the faithfulness of God. You can probably predict all these, by the way, if you've been here for the last couple weeks. The faithfulness of God. Think about just, just the fact that um, Deuteronomy 27 and Joshua chapter 8 line up so perfectly. The faithfulness of God that all throughout Israel's story, um, God basically says, this is what's going to happen, and then it absolutely happens, just like he said it would. Over and over and over and over again. God, he's just he's faithful. And I think you hang around the church long enough, and you hear that, and it stops, it kind of just becomes one of those, like, Things you've heard it so many times, you don't even really process what it means. But the faithfulness of God is like one of the greatest reasons we have to be obedient. They had every reason when it when um, when it came to crossing the Jordan or Jericho or whatever, they had every reason to be obedient because God is faithful. And I was was thinking about the concept of faithfulness, and um, it just kind of just kind of settled in, in my heart that. God is faithful to himself. Like he's faithful to be himself. His character, his nature. And so, you know, we sing songs and we talk about him being uh, mighty to save. We talk about um, him being compassionate, him being gracious, him being merciful, his love enduring forever, him being good. And all these things make up this, this character and this nature when we look at that in the context of obedience, like all those things about God are awesome, but the thing is, He is going to be faithful 
to himself to carry those things out. If, um, all right, everybody knows Rodney? Where's Rodney? Okay. Rodney is, uh, is he's one of my greatest friends in the world, and uh, he's a little bit bigger than me, uh, kind of built, um, kind of massively strong, all right? Now, I could bring Rodney up here, and I could put out my arm, and I could say, Rodney, I want you to break my arm. And he could do it. Uh, he could, actually, he can bend it, and if I was really gutsy, I'd have him come up here and show you that he can bend it. He can, like, take the, your arm and bend it a little bit, and it kind of freaks you out, kind of makes you go cold sweat for a second. Uh, um, but, but he can do that. And so I could bring him up here, and I could say, break my arm. And do you think he'd break my arm? No. No. Um, we could, I, I could offer him um, everybody's bank account in this room, and do you think he'd break my arm? No. All right, maybe, no. Uh, <laughs> he's got a big smile on his face. I better change my illustration. Um, there's, there's not a thing that I could do to get Rodney to intentionally break my arm. Why? Because that's not his character. That's not his nature. There's, that's, he's just not going to do that. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to be himself. And when it comes to God, we have all these things about God that we know and we believe to be true and we sing songs about it. But we have to remember that not only are those things all true and are they all like holy versions of all that stuff. You know, like he's not just gracious. He's gracious out of his holiness. So he's perfectly gracious. Like there's like, I mean, we're gracious with each other, but there's a lot of imperfections in it the way it carries out. There's no imperfection in God's graciousness. So he's all these things, but then he is also at the same time faithful to always be that and for there never be an exception to that that's awesome so why in the world would we would be would we not be obedient to a god who is faithful to always be himself they had every reason they had 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 seen it Chapter 27, Joshua 8, he said this is what's going to happen, and he said it through Moses, this is what you're going to do. And here they are standing there, and it's happening right before their eyes. I mean, they should have just hit the floor, you know, crying and screaming and being like, I can't believe this is happening. And that's what I love about worship services. And so often we come together, and you start singing these songs, and you're like, I cannot believe that I'm singing this, and that what I'm singing is true for me all the time. And so obedience in the different areas of life that we, can, we have every reason to be obedient because he is faithful to be himself, always. Second thing that we see um, is the power of God. And the thing about the power of God is that God is not, he's not powerful from far away. And I really, really dig that about him. Because he could, like, you know, at different points, if you've been around uh, church and stuff, at different points you hear, like, you know, like a worship service where, like, God pulls his chair up to the edge of heaven and listens to our voices as they rise to him. That's bull. That's not what happens. Um, God is, uh, he could be far away from us if he wanted to, but he, like, his power is his active presence among us. We don't see the Lord, like, keeping this great distance. I mean, even, even Old Testament, before Jesus made, was, you know, made the Spirit of God accessible for all of us, 
even in the midst of this holy moment, where, where is the Lord? In the middle? Right there for all of them to see? The presence of the ark? Everywhere the ark went, it was the presence of God. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's what it was. So the power of God also means His active presence all the time. There's no way, all right, you know, they, they, they go to, to Jericho, and Joshua says, we're going to march around the city, and then we're going to go back to the camp. And they do that for six days. On the seventh day, they march around it seven times, and Joshua says, when you hear the loud, loud trumpets, you just, everybody shout, and the walls are going to fall down. There's no way that, like, they should have gone along with that, you know? Like, doesn't it sound like just the craziest thing ever? I mean, I've been, like, I was in Tiger Band, so I've been in Tiger Stadium at the center point of all the screaming that's going on. And I've been in it to the point where I'm 10 yards away from drums and I can't hear them because it's so loud. And I, I've, I've been there, but at no point did I feel like things are about to start crumbling, you know? As loud as that place can be, there's no structural risk that's going on. I mean, I know we caused an earthquake in like 1912 you know, or something and we still hold on to that, you know, never let that die. But, um, but the thing is, like, as, as loud as we scream, all that kind of stuff, like, we're not going to crumble a city. The walls of a city are not, I mean, that's the power of God, the active presence of God among them. Um, they get to the river, and it just stops, and it, like, walls up like this, and they cross on dry land. The active presence of God. Um, we come into this place, and the active presence of God is here. There's no, there's no denying it. Maybe sometimes you sense it stronger than others or whatever, um, but like he is here. We don't come and ask him to show up. He's here. It's more like let us tune into the fact that you are way more near than we ever realize. And so the power of God is another reason for us to be obedient. Because a lot of times when we're not obedient, it's because we, I think we really are like, yeah, I'm not sure if I step out in faith in this, you know, and I do this and I'm obedient, I'm not really sure like, God can do that. We might not always like verbalize it that way. We might not write it on a prayer request. I don't think God can do this, you know. But isn't that like kind of a, in the back of your mind sometimes? Because we're control freaks, you know. We have every reason to be obedient because the power of God is actively at work in our lives because He's with us all the time. And so in chapter 8, they're standing there, and they have every reason to be obedient, no matter what crazy military tactic Joshua has next. I mean, they're convinced. God has been faithful, and God has shown himself to be powerful. Why would they not be obedient to that? The third thing, and the final thing, is the, the lordship of God. The faithfulness of God, the power of God, the lordship of God. That's a nice, neat little list for you note-takers or whatever. You're welcome. Um, can't promise anything that neat next time. Uh, the lordship of God. The fact that, that he is controlling everything all the time. Like, you look at, at their history. Uh, and you go back to the walls of Jericho falling down. I mean, he's kind of controlling things. He's lord over everything that, that's going on. There's not one, one point in the story where not only like, has he been faithful with them, and he's shown his power with like, these miracles and stuff, but like he's just controlling stuff. Like he just he holds everything together all the time. And so 
Israel get they get to these points where they're marching into like, I mean, certain death. Certainly, there's we are all going to die if we do this. But they march into it. Why? Because God's up there and He's moving things around. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is they go to this battle and there's three armies coming to kill them and they go into it anyway and they get there and everybody's dead because they all got like freaked out and all killed each other. Like you tell me, God's not up there like moving the checkers around, you know? Like He knows what's going on. And 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 in our lives, I don't know why we sometimes think. Or maybe it's just me, but why that, you know, oh, but if I do this, then this might happen, this might happen, this might happen. It's like, well, why, why is God going to, you know, call you to do something that's going to be completely destructive and go against his will and it's bad for his name and whatever, you know? Like, what's more honoring and glorifying and what shines brighter on him than us stepping faithfully into the things he's calling us to? whether it's in the church or it's living out Scripture or it's the stuff he's calling us to personally or whatever. And so because he is Lord over all and because he is powerfully working within us and all our circumstances and because he's always faithful to himself, we have every reason to be obedient. And I kind of got to that point and I was like, yeah, yeah, that feels good. That has to be an amen, close with prayer moment. I was like, yeah, but I still feel like obedience. You know, like this heavy, like my brow comes down, you know. I started really thinking through it and praying through it, and I was like, Lord, why why is that the case for me? And I don't want to get up here and just talk about, well, this is what I learned, so this is what you have to learn. I think sometimes that's kind of how it works in the role that I play. This is what I figured out. Obedience is burdensome when... Things are all about me. When I, I, I know what he's calling me to, and I sense where he's leading me, and I look at that, and I play out all the scenarios. If I do this, or if I start doing this, and this is going to happen this, and I line up all my dominoes and all that kind of stuff, and I know, I, I, I know quote-unquote, that I, what's going to happen or whatever. And I go into this mode of being like, well, how's that going to affect me and 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 what about this? And it's going to be weird. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm not really sure. And this and this and this. And when obedient, when when the things God's calling us to, when all those things are all about us, guess what? Obedience is burdensome and heavy, and it's a task. But when obedience is all about Him, it's it's not that it's easy because there's nothing nothing easy about denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following Him. Nothing easy about that. But when obedience is about him, it's, it's natural. It's completely natural. It's all about him. We're like, he is faithful. He is powerful. He is actively present. He is Lord over all. It is natural for me to step into this. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to close with this. When obedience is about me, it's burdensome. When it's about him, it is completely natural. And Moses connects the dot between, all right, you are now the people of God, therefore you will obey the voice of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is, what is, um, this is what is true of you and I who are in Christ but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we sit here tonight, and that same privilege is ours. We are His. We're completely His. And so whatever it is that God is drawing you into, pushing you toward, leading you to, however you want to look at it, whatever it is, let's all of us not look at it as how it affects us or what about us and what about me and all this kind of stuff. Just do what comes naturally when we start to think about who he is and what he's done and how amazing he is and how faithful he is, how powerful he is, and how he is over all things, all the time, in every area of life, with no exception. And let's just live naturally like the people of God that we are. All right, let's pray.